Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I talk about issues of faith, spirit, and the Bible that can help us lead more fulfilling lives. Each of us carries our own burdens on our life journey, and each of us is equipped with personal gifts and skills that help us to continue that journey day after day. And my goal is to provide some regular nourishment and renewal for you wherever you find yourself on that road. As we begin today, I invite you to close your eyes, fold your hands, and join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we come to you today with troubled minds and heavy hearts as Russia has begun a violent invasion of Ukraine. O Lord, protect those who have died, whose lives are shattered, and those who still find themselves in harm's way. We pray for peace in the region, in the hearts of the Russian rulers, and in the minds of all your people around the world. Help all world leaders to work together to find a road to peace with justice. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally I base my sermon on a biblical teaching or a Bible verse. Today, however, I'm going to vary from that pattern because of the worldwide fear and concern over the expanding violence as Russia invades Ukraine. I'm not equipped to make any kind of political or military analysis, so I thought I would just explore some of the biblical and faith resources that we have that help us deal with our feelings, particularly our sense of despair and helplessness. Forgive me if I wander a bit. When I think of appeals for peace, my mind first goes to St. Francis of Assisi. Francis was born in 1181 in Assisi, Italy, the son of a wealthy silk merchant. Francis put aside his family wealth and devoted his life to the imitation of Christ. In addition to the founding of the Franciscan order, he's known for his prayer of peace. This prayer became popularized during the violence that shattered the world in World War I and World War II. Francis prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are brought to eternal life. Amen. This prayer appeals to me because when I pray it, 
I'm asking God to make me an instrument of his peace. The person who prays this prayer is asking for empowerment and responsibility instead of remaining passive and just waiting and imploring God to act. At the heart of this prayer is the realization that peace originates in the heart of the individual believer. It is a great challenge to deal with our emotions that we face as we watch violence escalate on the other side of the ocean, perpetrated by a ruthless man whose motives we are at a loss to understand and whose heart seems cold and closed. Our impotence and lack of control is what leads to our fear and anxiety. And while we can't control his actions or soften his heart, we are in control of our own actions and the contents of our hearts. We are not powerless. Francis lays out pairs of contrasting and contradictory emotions hatred, love, injury, pardon, doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light, sadness, joy. And maybe it would be profitable for each of us to take some time in the days ahead and explore those pairs. Perhaps you can devote a few minutes of devotion each day to just one of them. Each of these pairs stands as a negative or destructive emotion opposite a positive or constructive one. The two most contrasting of human emotions are hatred and love. On the place for these emotions in our hearts, Jesus is clear. He says, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you. In other words, grab on to love, let go of hatred. In our current situation, hatred is easy to find and enemies are easy to identify. The violence that we have seen unleashed in recent days can only be accounted for by deep-seated hatreds. We will not be able to penetrate the veil hiding Vladimir Putin's and the other leaders' emotions as they're willing to carry out his demands. But by definition, they are filled with hatred. We know that the history of Russia and Ukraine is filled with generations of conflict going back for centuries. And while we can understand those hatreds and grievances being handed down from generation to generation, that does not absolve these violent actors of their sins. Since we have identified our enemies and seed the evidence of their hatred, our path of action is clear. We are to love them. As counterintuitive as that sounds, we must not repay hate for hate. This does not mean we feel affection for them, or in any way condone what they are doing. Nor does it mean 
that we will not come to the aid of their victims. What we can do, however, is include them in our prayers. They are burdened with sin. As we seek to understand them, we pray for God to soften their hearts and cool their hatred. They're prisoners of their own hatred. In our own conversations with one another, we speak the language of love instead of inciting more anger and hatred on our part. It's only destructive to all of us. The more we inflame our anger, justified or not, we also add to our anxiety. We add to our own suffering. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Two other couplets jump out at me from this prayer. Doubt slash faith and despair slash hope. I have to admit that over the past couple of weeks, I've been plagued by doubt, the point of despair. It is hard to see God's hand at work anywhere to guide us from our peril. And when I hear threats of even wider invasions of Eastern Europe and implications of unleashing nuclear weapons, I'm filled with dread and doubt. My mind conjures images of the world set aflame by weapons of mass destruction and the wasteland that would result. I enter, entertain the idea of the end of the world as we know it, just as I did uh, when I was a kid and we had to get under our desks at school to simulate nuclear war drills. In other words, my faith has been failing me. Or I've been failing my faith, I don't know which. In a Bible study that I was privileged to lead this week with a group of men at a local homeless shelter, I told them that I prefer to substitute the word trust for faith. I don't believe in Jesus, that's not what faith is. I believe in Jesus, but that's not what I mean by faith. I trust him. It's easier for me to understand. One man looked at me directly in the eyes and said, Do you trust God? And yes, I answered without thinking. He kept looking at me. My answer obviously didn't seem genuine. It's just one of those things that we say because we're supposed to. As they say in the political world, I had to walk that statement back a bit. I have to confess, I said, that recently I have doubted God. I just don't see that God is showing us a way out of this crisis. I'm glad that man pressed me on the point and held me accountable. It made me think about what my trust depends upon. Trust is an act that I must choose over and over again. We need trust most in hard times. My trust for God is not based on the events of the moment, but on how God has acted in the past. Our trust in God is based upon his saving acts for the people of Israel. The root story of our faith is God leading them out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land. 
Over the course of 40 years in the wilderness, their trust was sorely tested. When it failed, they suffered greatly. But in the end, God fulfilled that promise. Their trust was justified. Even when they had established a great nation under King David, the suffering had not come to a permanent end. Throughout the centuries, they continued to be attacked and often defeated by ruthless enemies. They endured suffering, war, and death. And yet the faithful remnant exists to this day, many of them suffering in Ukraine, some of those who had survived the Nazi Holocaust. The Jews as a people have constantly had to keep renewing their trust, knowing that God will remain faithful and lead them again to the promised land of faith and love. For the Christian, our trust in God grows from the knowledge that he committed the act, ultimate act of salvation by sending Jesus Christ as our Savior. Beyond all of the struggles of this life, all of the wars that nations punish each other with, lies the ultimate promise of resurrection. On the day that I die, God will once again raise me up to new life. So Francis ends his poem with these words of trust. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. If we can put our trust in that fact, then we can conquer all of our fears and anxieties, and we can share that peace and that calm with one another which is what I hope we will do. One of the most profound Bible verses that expresses our hope comes from the prophet Micah. Micah lived in a troubled time in Israel and prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem because of the lack, lack of faith and the corruption of her rulers. And he said, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins and the hill of the Temple Mount will be a thicket. Obviously, that's not the hopeful part of the message. That comes later. Despite his earlier prediction of destruction, he says, God will settle disputes among people and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. But each man will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree with no one to frighten him. Boy, do we need those words of assurance today. I wish that I could go sit under my own grapevine or fig tree in peace with no one to threaten or frighten me. But that is God's promise. It is a promise to the people of Ukraine. It is a promise to the world. God will not let hatred and violence prevail. We do not know what lies in the immediate future, but we do know that God's love will prevail.
it's too powerful not to. In the meantime, on a practical level, in order to deal with our helplessness and anxiety, we can turn to the old saying, think globally, act locally. We need to keep ourselves informed about what is going on in Ukraine and other trouble spots in the world, although I do think we should avoid constant repetition of the horror stories that come to us through the news cycle again and again. We need to know and we need to care about what is happening, even when it doesn't directly affect us. We need to pray hard for the people of Ukraine. We need to support our own leaders in dealing with the crisis and end our own hateful divisions. At the same time, we can act locally. Part of our responsibility is to encourage our friends and our family, those closest to us, with messages of peace and hope and encouragement. We need to continue to live our lives faithfully, keep up that trust. We can maintain our own relationships and be there for the people in our own lives. It will serve them and it will serve us. Love grows and spreads. As Francis prayed, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. So let's find ways to be consolers. I'm a big believer in repetition. With all of my ramblings behind, let's play, pray Francis' prayer once more. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so, so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you all for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. <laughs>